buried while alive is the most fearful of extremes that has fallen to the lot of mere mortality. Scarcely are graveyards ever encroached upon that skeletons are not found in postures that suggest the most fearful of suspicions. Edgar Allan Poe, The Premature Burial Happy Halloween, I'm W.F. Strong. This is Beyond Texas, well beyond. Halloween is upon us, and it's a perfect time to share a little Edgar Allan Poe. Poe was really one of the first great writers of horror fiction. He was a god in the gothic genre, fascinated with death and the deprived nature of man. He influenced Lovecraft and Alfred Hitchcock and Stephen King, who said that all writers of the macabre were influenced by Poe, their twisted and evil grandfather. And speaking about the macabre, I remember Stephen King in his wonderful book, Dance Macabre, said that the most frightening thing in the world is not the closed door. It is the closed door slightly ajar. Edgar Allan Poe's reach went well beyond horror fiction and detective stories, which he helped launch as a unique genre that thrives today as true crime. And what other writer has a National Football League team named for him? The Baltimore Ravens take their name from his most famous poem, and the team's mascots, three of them, are named Edgar, Allan, and Poe. Interestingly, a recent Wall Street Journal article argued that Poe really wanted to write more in the way of romantic fiction, somewhat like the sentiments he demonstrated in The Raven. But since there was no international copyright law, American publishers, you see, could poach European romanticists at will. They could have all the Jane Austenian-type novels they wanted for free. That left Poe without much of a market, so he tended toward the macabre and true crime where he had little European competition that publishers could poach for free. He could at least feed himself, though they say he managed only about 10000 a year in today's dollars from his writing. And this worked out well for us. His masterpieces, The Telltale Heart, The Pit and the Pendulum, and The Murders in the Rue Morgue, would never have been written if he had had access to publishing what he most wanted to write. Shows that we never know where our talents lie until we are forced to try new things, often out of necessity. In celebration of Poe, I thought I'd share a work of his that is just ideal for Halloween. It's The Premature Burial. We don't think about this much in the age of embalming, but in Poe's time, fear of being buried alive in an inescapable earthen prison was a widespread phobia of fear greater than death itself. Hence, it was customary then to run a string from inside the coffin to a bell above ground so that should someone wake up after they had apparently died and were buried, they could pull the string and ring the bell thus the expression, saved by the bell. Poe wrote of this very real phenomenon in his fictional story, in which the protagonist is horribly concerned about this fate befalling him because he has catalepsy. He has fallen asleep so deeply on occasion and for so long that people presumed he was dead. So he begins his story by recounting unusual examples of people who were buried alive and either lived to tell the tale or who left signs that they were buried alive, but the rescue never came. We start with the line I began with. To be buried while alive is beyond question the most fearful of extremes that has fallen to the lot of mere mortality. 
Scarcely are graveyards ever encroached upon for any reason that skeletons are not found in postures that suggest the most fearful of suspicions. That it has frequently, very frequently so fallen will scarcely be denied by those who think. The boundaries which divide life from death are at best shadowing vague. Who shall say where the one ends and the other begins? We know that there are diseases in which occur total cessations of all the apparent functions of vitality, and yet in which these cessations are merely suspensions, properly so called. They are only temporary pauses in the incomprehensible mechanism. A certain period elapses, and some unseen mysterious principle again sets in motion the magic pinions and the wizard wheels. But where, meantime, was the soul? I might refer at once, if necessary, to a hundred well-authenticated instances, one of a very remarkable character, and of which the circumstances may be fresh in the memory of some of my readers, occurred not very long ago in the neighboring city of Baltimore, where it occasioned painful, intense, and widely extended excitement. The wife of one of the most respectable citizens, a lawyer of eminence and a member of Congress, was seized with a sudden and unaccountable illness, which completely baffled the skill of her physicians. After much suffering, she died, or was supposed to die. No one suspected, indeed, or had any reason to suspect that she was not actually dead. She presented all the ordinary appearances of death. The face assumed the usual pinched and sunken outline. The lips were of the usual marble pallor. The eyes were lusterless. There was no warmth. Pulsation had ceased. For three days the body was preserved unburied, during which it had acquired a stony rigidity. The funeral, in short, was hastened on account of the rapid advance of what was supposed to be decomposition. The lady was deposited in her family vault, which for three subsequent years was undisturbed. At the expiration of this term it was opened for the reception of a sarcophagus, but, alas, how fearful a shock awaited the husband, who personally threw open the door. As its portal swung outwardly back, some white-apparelled object fell rattling within his arms. It was the skeleton of his wife, in her yet unmolded shroud. A careful investigation rendered it evident that she had revived within two days after her entombment, that her struggles within the coffin had caused it to fall from a ledge or shelf to the floor, where it was so broken as to permit her escape. A lamp, which had been accidentally left full of oil within the tomb, was found empty. It might have been exhausted, however, by evaporation. On the uttermost of the steps which led down into the dread chamber was a large fragment of the coffin, with which it seemed that she had endeavored to arrest attention by striking the iron door. While thus occupied, she probably swooned or possibly died through sheer terror, and in falling, her shroud became entangled in some ironwork which projected interiorly. Thus she remained, and thus she rotted, erect. In the year 1810, a case of living inhumation happened in France, attended with circumstances which go so far to warrant the assertion that truth is, indeed, stranger than fiction. 
The heroine of the story was a Mademoiselle Victorine Lafourcade, a young girl of illustrious family of wealth and of great personal beauty. Among her numerous suitors was Julien Bousset, journalist of Paris. His talents and general amiability had recommended him to the notice of the heiress, by whom he seems to have been truly beloved. But her pride of birth decided her finally to reject him, and to wed a Monsieur Renel, a banker and a diplomat of some eminence. After marriage, however, this gentleman neglected and perhaps ill-treated her. Having passed with some wretched years, she died. At least her condition so closely resembled death as to deceive everyone who saw her. She was buried not in a vault, but in an ordinary grave in the village of her nativity. Filled with despair and still inflamed by the memory of a profound attachment, the lover journeys from the capital to the remote province in which the village lies, with the romantic purpose of disinterring the corpse and possessing himself of its luxuriant tresses. He reaches the grave. At midnight he unearths the coffin, opens it, and is in the act of detaching the hair when he is arrested by the enclosing of the beloved eyes. In fact, the lady had been buried alive. Vitality had not altogether departed, and she was aroused by the caresses of her lover from the lethargy which had been mistaken for death. He bore her frantically to his lodgings in the village. He employed certain powerful restoratives suggested by no little medical learning. In time, she revived. She recognized her preserver. She remained with him until, by slow degrees, she fully recovered her original health. Her woman's heart was not adamant, and this last lesson of love sufficed to soften it. She bestowed it upon Bousset. She returned no more to her husband, but concealing from him her resurrection, fled with her lover to America. Twenty years afterward, the two returned to France in the persuasion that time had so greatly altered the lady's appearance that her friends would be unable to recognize her. They were mistaken, however, for at the first meeting Monsieur Renel had actually recognized her and made claim to his wife. This claim was resisted, and a judicial tribunal sustained her in her resistance, deciding that the peculiar circumstances with the long lapse of years had extinguished not only equitably but legally the authority of the husband. One last case concerns an officer of the artillery, a man of gigantic stature and of robust health, being thrown from an unmanageable horse, received a very severe contusion upon his head, which rendered him insensible at once. The skull was slightly fractured, but no immediate danger was apprehended. Trepanning was accomplished successfully. He was bled, and many other of the ordinary means of relief were adopted. Gradually, however, he fell into a more and more hopeless state of stupor, and finally it was thought that he had died. The weather was warm, and he was buried with indecent haste in one of the public cemeteries. His funeral took place on a Thursday. On the Sunday following, the grounds of the cemetery were, as usual, much thronged with visitors, and about noon an intense excitement was created by the declaration of a peasant that, while sitting upon the grave of the officer, he had distinctly felt a commotion of the earth, as if occasioned by someone struggling underneath. At first little attention was paid to the man's asservation, but his evident terror and the dogged obstinacy with which he persisted in the story had at length 
their natural effect upon the crowd. Spades were hurriedly procured, and the grave, which was shamefully shallow, was in a few minutes so far thrown open that the head of its occupant appeared. He was then seemingly dead, but he sat nearly erect within his coffin, the lid of which, in his furious struggles, he had partially uplifted. He was forthwith conveyed to the nearest hospital, and there pronounced to be still living, although in an asphytic condition. After some hours he revived, recognized individuals in his acquaintance, and in broken sentences spoke of his agonies in the grave. From what he related it was clear that he must have been conscious of life for more than an hour while inhumed, before lapsing into insensibility. The grave was carelessly and loosely filled with an exceedingly porous soil, and thus some air was necessarily admitted. He heard the footsteps of the crowd overhead, and endeavored to make himself heard in turn. It was the tumult within the grounds of the cemetery, he said, which appeared to awaken him from a deep sleep, but no sooner was he awake than he became fully aware of the awful horrors of his position. This patient, it is recorded, was doing well and seemed to be in a fair way of ultimate recovery, but fell a victim to the quackeries of medical experiment. The galvanic battery was applied, and he suddenly expired in one of those ecstatic paroxysms which, occasionally, it superinduces. It would be an easy matter to multiply such histories as these, but I forbear, for indeed we have no need of such to establish the fact that premature burials occur, when we reflect how very rarely, from the nature of the case, we have it in our power to detect them, we must admit that they may frequently occur without our cognizance. Scarcely, in truth, is a graveyard ever encroached upon for any purpose to any great extent that skeletons are not found in postures which suggest the most fearful of suspicions. Fearful indeed the suspicion, but more fearful the doom. It may be asserted without hesitation that no event is so terribly well adapted to inspire the supremeness of bodily and mental distress as is burial before death. The unendurable oppression of the lungs, the stifling fumes from the damp earth, the clinging to the death garments, the rigid embrace of the narrow house, the blackness of the absolute night, the silence like a sea that overwhelms, the unseen but palpable presence of the conqueror worm. These things, with the thoughts of the air and grass above, with the memory of dear friends who would fly to save us if but informed of our fate, and with the consciousness that of this fate they can never be informed, that our hopeless portion is that of the really dead, these considerations, I say, carry into the heart which still palpitates a degree of appalling and intolerable horror from which the most daring imagination must recoil. We know of nothing so agonizing upon earth. We can dream of nothing half so hideous in the realms of the nethermost hell. And thus all narratives upon this topic have an interest profound, an interest nevertheless which, through the sacred awe of the topic itself, very properly depends upon our conviction of the truth of the matter narrated. What I have now to tell is of my own actual knowledge of my own positive and personal experience. I'm going to break up the mood here and tell you that you can read that final story for yourself by simply googling the premature burial by Edgar Allan Poe. 
That story would require another 20 minutes to read for you. I encourage you to find it and, and read it for yourself. You will, you will find it most fascinating and terrifying. I'm W.F. Strong for Beyond Texas. Happy Halloween. Thank you.